I'm Doug Keck, and welcome once again to EWTN's Bookmark, our very special guest and author is Bill Donahue of the Catholic League. The book, The Truth About Clergy Sexual Abuse, Clarifying the Facts and the Causes, published by Ignatius Press, available naturally through the EWTN Religious Catalog, EWTNRC.com, all things Catholic. Thank you so much for making the time. Bill, great to see you. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Doug. And you were uh, on a couple of months ago with Father Mitch talking about the, the same topic. And it's something uh, you've been in the middle of for quite a while. Is it an easy place to be? No, it's not. I mean, I'm a sociologist. I'm a Catholic, Catholic leader. I love the church. And so when you hear bad things said about people whom you love or an institution that you love, uh, it's, it's not easy to take. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, uh, I, I'm also aware that there that the church has made tremendous progress, and there are people out there to sell the pernicious idea that we haven't made any progress, and that kind of gets my back up. And I, am, I will never defend the indefensible, but I will defend the rights of the accused, of mm. priests who are entitled to due process, and so that inspires me to, uh, to step up and not right. just sit back and be scholarly, so to speak. What made you decide to put all of the information you have here in book form? Well, you know, I've been gathering the data for about uh, over two decades. Uh, and as a sociologist, I'm, I'm, I'm a kind of a number cruncher to begin with. Mm -hmm. I've written about the subject and been interviewed about the subject uh, for decades. And I finally decided, you know, enough is enough. People have to understand that while we've had a problem in the Catholic Church, mm -hmm. and I gets into the, the ideology, the causes of it, uh, and I don't try to defend the wrongdoers, but at the same time, we've made great progress, and we don't own this problem. There's so much misinformation, and sometimes it's willful, it's disinformation uh, out there. I decided the time has come mm -hmm. because I've looked at the other works. There have been some good books on the subject, don't get me wrong, but most of them have been uh, pretty much on the other side, so to speak, and also written by people who are journalists, which is fine, but I'm a social scientist, I'm a doctorate in sociology, and I wanted to put that together, right. and I marshaled well over 800 footnotes in the book from scholarly sources. I don't use some bloggers to make my uh, my points. And so, I, yeah, I thought the time had come. Uh, I'm, I'm toward the end of my career, and I didn't want to go out without having my final say on this issue. Well, don't say you're nearing the end of your career. Let's not hope that well, that's I'm not, coming I'm soon. I'm not leaving next week, that's for sure. <laughs> Very good. Well, you talk about two scandals in the church, one having to do with the abuse itself, the second scandal kind of having to do with the as you were alluding to this notion that it's a problem only the Catholic Church has and, and the way the media treats it, you say, quite frankly, they're playing us. They're playing the public by holding the church to one standard and almost every other institution to another. How so? Well, you have this problem in every religious denomination. Wherever you find that there are adults who interact regularly with minors, you're going to see misconduct. You also see adults engaged in sexual misconduct in the workplace, minors, but with other adults, it's still sexual misconduct. And that exists in virtually every single segment of our society. But the media, while they'll make mention of what's going on a little bit here and there with Protestants and Jews and Muslims and others, and what's going on in the media and Hollywood and the workplace and the military and other segments of society, the law firms, et cetera, they don't dwell on it, do they? They certainly don't dwell on the public schools where there's an ongoing problem today, but our problem is mostly behind us, is the heyday of the problem in the Catholic Church was the mid-60s to the mid-80s, 
we've we've long been over the worst of this thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, the media uh, seem to be fixated on us, and I know why. Mm -hmm. It comes down to basically one thing. Our society has, in the dominant culture, a very free-flowing idea of sexual freedom. Pretty much do whatever you want. Kind of a libertine understanding. Then you contrast that with our Judeo-Christian heritage and in the Catholic Church, the, uh, much more uh, of an idea of sexual reticence or restraint. So if the Catholic Church, if a few priests have gone wrong, it's good to try and discredit the Catholic Church's moral voice, because if you can basically silence or cancel the Catholic Church's moral authority on matters sexual, mm -hmm. then you open the door to their idea of sexual freedom. That's what this is all about. There's an agenda here. It went beyond good reporting to begin with, which I defend the media. When the, when the Boston Globe broke the story back in 2002, I defended the media. But then, after years, you begin to see what's going on. Right. Now it evolved into a pattern, into an agenda, and I don't like agendas. Well, let me ask you, you know, in, in some ways, are we also impacted by the fact that we've got a lot of ex-Catholics out there? maybe with axes to grind or, you know, uh, if they can relieve their guilt about the lifestyle they may be living these days by discrediting the church, it helps them? Boy, did you ever hit on something uh, It doesn't surprise me. You're very astute. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, there's no question about it. You know, when they do these surveys, Gallup polls and whatnot, and they ask the Catholics how they feel about X, Y, and Z, too often they don't disaggregate between practicing Catholics and non-practicing non Catholics. And, of course, there's a huge difference between those who are regular church attendees to take one index uh, and those who almost never or, in fact, never go to church and may just lump them in there together. Uh, so that gives a skewed picture. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the people who are angry at the church. Yes, they, they, they had a marriage that didn't work out. They had a drug problem. They had a problem at work. Uh, they have sexual uh, issues. Uh, could be adultery. It could be uh, uh, in the gay community. It could be... Of, of promiscuous relationships and, and etc and they don't like the catholic church which sets the bar high that's true uh it's not easy but better to set the bar high and try to clear it and help people clear it than to dumb it down right. to the lowest common denominator so that anybody can clear it and now you wind up with all kinds of problems right slouching toward gomorrah defining deviancy down right some other right. um, authors have talked about. Now, you talk about here the idea of also why it focuses on the Catholic Church. Meanwhile, it's, it's, it's just as much, if not more, of a problem in many other churches, let alone uh, in the secular world. Besides money, uh, what is the other reason? You alluded to one, but one thing that did strike me, you talked about the fact that so many of the other churches are decentralized. Why does that matter? Well, it does, because it's, it, when it comes to reporting, you want to get, you know, when, when the lawyers go through discovery, if you have a hierarchical church, and, you know, it's, I guess you could, it's, you know, a lot of things in life are a double-edged sword. We keep in the priest personnel files practically every single thing that's ever been, a, the guy's an accusee, uh, some, some, somebody saw uh, Father X have a second glass of wine with his an Italian dinner and his friends, and they call the chancery office, and guess what? It winds up in the file. So if you, the Catholic Church has rich documentation, and it's hierarchical, so it's easy prey. I would say maybe we're keeping too many files, quite frankly. Right. Then you take the Protestant uh, uh, denominations. They're not hierarchical. They don't keep the files. The, the public schools certainly don't. We know that for a fact. They, they don't keep the files the way they're supposed to. 
but you make it safer for Muslims and Jews and, and, and other segments of society. So it's easier. We're an easier target with the big fat target. We've been around for 2,000 years. So if you can weaken the, the moral authority of the Catholic Church, maybe you can silence the evangelicals and the Orthodox uh, Jews and the Mormons and, and, and the Muslims who might share with us, by the way, many of the same teachings when it comes to sexual ethics. Right, and you talk about between uh, public schools, as you mentioned earlier, obviously uh, doctors and others in situations that are uh, have relationships that are similar to a priest in relation to, let's say, a parishioner in a sense of a level of spiritual somewhat authority. But one of the ones that was interesting to me was the idea of the sexual abuse in the media in Hollywood. And one of them having to do, and I remember this with Corey Feldman, the fact that the number one problem in Hollywood, he said, will always be pedophilia, which is surprising. You think, well, sexuality, of course. But I guess it is a natural outgrowth of that approach. Well, it is. And, and I quote uh, Dr. Uh, Richard Fitzgibbons, who's a, a wonderful Catholic a psychiatrist, and he has said that every single pedophile he ever treated was also a practicing homosexual. Well, in Hollywood, they believe everything goes. And once you get into that promiscuity, that kind of bandwagon, there are no breaks. There are no boundaries that are respected. And so, yes, the, the, the number of studio uh, people who have preyed on youngsters is astonishing. There was a woman, Amy Berg, who did documentaries on the Catholic Church's problem. She tried to do it on Hollywood, and she was stopped, and they wouldn't distribute her, her movie. So when it comes to Hollywood turning the camera on themselves, or they did the same thing at CBS and elsewhere, uh, they, they don't want to do that. They'd rather just focus in on us, and that is intellectually dishonest. Now, in a section uh, dealing with the church confronting the scandal, the extent of the scandal, you say uh, a report that came out uh, by John Jay, we've heard about. Uh, approximately 4% of the Catholic clergy during the period studied had been accused of sexually abusing a youth under the age of 18. And you go on to say 149 priests, 3.5%, who have more than 10 allegations of abuse were allegedly responsible for abusing almost 3,000 victims, thus accounting for 26% of allegations. Yes, and that needs to be trumpeted by everybody. Most Catholics don't know that. I didn't make it up. It's all documented uh, in my book. Uh, it happens to be true. Now, it, 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 you realize then that most priests are good guys and they've been maligned. They've been maliciously maligned by people who have an agenda to smear the Catholic clergy. Uh, we should speak openly about those ones who are a problem. But if you're talking about 1950 to 2000, uh, 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 about 2000 mm -hmm. uh, on, on that, uh, that's what it was. 2002, 2000, you realize that it's a very small percent of the population was ever involved in any of this, mm. and it was during a particular chapter in the Catholic Church's history, the mid-60s to the mid-80s, which not coincidentally was exactly the, the, the decades of the sexual revolution. Right, absolutely, and we're uh, old enough to have lived through it. In this section on public perceptions are flawed, you, you quote... Uh, an article, the Wall Street Journal in 2002, an NBC News poll that came out, 64% believed that Catholic priests frequently abused children, showing how the bias was off. You also say, as disturbing as this mis misrepresentation is, even worse is the fact that many prominent Catholic leaders refused to challenge this distorted view. Why won't they challenge it? There's a timidity in the Catholic Church, which I think is reprehensible. And it's, you find it in Rome, you find it in the United States. I understand, I live in the real world, Doug, 
I understand the reluctance on the part of the priest when he's dealing with the parishioners to bring up the scandal because it makes him look offensive or he, he knows there was an ugly chapter there and it may, it may, he doesn't know how to handle it. Right. But that's no excuse. At the end of the day, we should talk about how there was a problem quite a while ago now, about a half century ago, quite frankly, and that we've made tremendous progress and, and, and identify some of the problems there. But no, there's this reluctance, the, 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 the cowardice that is in our society in general, well, amongst the ruling class, the elites, mm -hmm. the decision makers in major uh, institutions, whether it's the military, the healthcare, the churches, the corporations, people burying themselves, not looking uh, at reality. Uh, it, it's very disturbing to me that when you look at a lot of the surveys, the American people have pretty much given up on their leaders, not just in Washington, but across the board in our society, a lot of it comes down to right. cowardice. Now, in the role of Hollywood, you talk about in 2013, after two Muslim brothers bombed Boston, everyone from Boston, Archbishop Sean O'Malley, Secretary of State John Kerry, implored Americans not to blame all Muslims. You go on to say this kind of reaction stands in stark contrast to the way priests are spoken about in the wake of the scandal. Absolutely. And I remember George W. Bush, he was right to say, let's not tar all Muslims after 9-11. I saw the, the towers go down right outside my window here on 34th and 7th in, in New York City. It was a terrible day. And as a veteran, I was just shaken. Uh, and I understand. Uh, and, I, and I commend uh, people like the bishop and, 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 and the president when they say, let's not uh, blame all Muslims. And we shouldn't blame all Muslims. Why then is it acceptable on Saturday Night Live, Bill Maher for years, The View, Joy Behar, Whoopi Goldberg, and others, to constantly, relentlessly, uh, uh, Trevor Noah, he's the latest uh, iteration on this, constantly making fun of priests. They're all a bunch of predators and molesters. They wouldn't say that about any other demographic section, sector of our society. There are problems. Uh, with high incidences of crime with, amongst African-Americans, uh, 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 and, and, and we know about that, and we don't dare, and nor should we, blame all blacks because uh, a disproportionate number are involved in street crime. We're the only group in, in our society, the only demographic group, where it's free game to paint all priests as molesters, uh, when, in fact, that is simply not true any more than it would be true about making wild uh, accusations from the individual to the collective about these other groups. Now, you say in Chapter 4, myths of the scandal origins debunked. There are many myths about the origins that need to be debunked. But you go on to say, when pornographic films were shown to seminarians and a gay subculture was not simply tolerated but encouraged, you're talking about Pope Benedict here, he notes that it is hardly surprising to learn that sexual misconduct grew by leaps and bounds at various seminaries, homosexual cliques were established, he writes, which is acted on more or less openly and significantly changed the climate in the seminaries. The climate that emerged was toxic. Pope Benedict, uh, he's, he's a brilliant theologian. I think he has a great sociological mind. I think he did more to combat sexual abuse in the church than his wonderful uh, predecessor, and, and certainly than, than even Pope Francis, who's done a good job himself. But the credit should go to Benedict, and he has the courage of his convictions to talk about the root causes of the sexual revolution, not exculpate or to exonerate the bad guys, mm. but simply to put the thing in context. And for that, he's been hated. He has been unfairly maligned by a lot of people uh, in the Catholic Church, not just simply outside the Catholic Church. 
and, and what he has said and what you just uh, described there is absolutely 100% accurate. Right. Now, in a chapter here as well, a little further, opportunity in poor formation, Cardinal Blaise Supich, Archbishop of Chicago, was asked in 2019 about the role of homosexuality in the scandal. He admitted that a high percentage of the abuse involved male-on-male -male sex abuse, but he said that homosexuality itself is not a cause. And you say he got around this by saying it was a matter of opportunity and also a matter of poor training on the part of people. What's your thought on that? Well, he's wrong on both of these. Uh, quite frankly, when it comes to opportunity, what he's saying is that the uh, the, the, the priest uh, throughout uh, most of uh, American, American history uh, did not have access to uh, altar girl service, so therefore they molested the boys. But well, this is this is this is this is insanity, quite frankly. Uh, it suggests that that the male has to abuse somebody. I went to camp. I've been in the Air Force. I've been in boarding schools. Most guys don't act out like that. And by the way, we've had altar girls now since about 1983. Where's the uptick in molestation on the part of straight priests molesting the girls? It doesn't exist whatsoever. It's a way of dodging things. And poor formation, that might play a role. It certainly it, it did back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. But if everybody had the same poor formation, mm -hmm. why is it that homosexuals were the ones who were the most likely to act out? in an untoward way by abusing males. And, and we're not talking about little babies here, right. we're talking about adolescents. That doesn't excuse it, but the typical uh, kid that was molested wasn't five years of age, it was more likely like 15 years of age, post-pubescent. No, this is a way of dodging reality, and I don't care who it is in the church, the Vatican Summit a few years ago that they had on this issue blaming clericalism for everything, right, right. when in fact clericalism has nothing to do could possibly have nothing to do with, with why a man would put his hands on a minor. Right. It may have something to do how it gets covered up or why it gets right, covered exactly. up, in a sense, but right. not because somebody's doing it because they suddenly right. became a cleric. Uh, you say when the clergy abuse scandal was at its worst from the mid-60s to the mid-80s, belief in rehabilitation was the zeitgeist in social science and therapeutic circles. There was no one, no matter how incorrigible, who was incapable of being reformed. Wasn't that part of the problem? People got sent off to St. Luke's or some other place, and they were being told, Father's okay now. Right. And I don't, again, I'm not here to exculpate bishops, but in fairness to bishops, I was teaching sociology at a college at that time, uh, back in the 80s and 90s. Uh, I saw what was going on back even in the 70s, in the late 70s I was teaching in college. And the spirit of the times, the zeitgeist, was that we can rehabilitate everyone and anyone. So, they, so no matter what the addiction might be or malady. So in this particular case, uh, this, this therapist, uh, said to the bishops, oh, you have a problem here with Father X, uh, give, him, give him to us. We'll, we'll give him through our sessions. Give us maybe five or six weeks. We'll send him off to St. Luke Institute or someplace else, and we're going to get him back to you. He's going to be good to go. Mm -hmm. uh, we, 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 can, we can do wonders. They, they overrated their expertise, and that's intellectual arrogance. I know a number of professors, and I, and I, I like a lot of them. Don't get me wrong. But a lot of them suffer from that intellectual arrogance that we're the experts that nobody else knows as much as we do. They didn't know what they were talking about. They gave lousy advice to the bishops that they could pick all these men. Mm -hmm. And in fact, uh, to this day, things haven't changed much on that. And again, the bishop, the budget stopped with him. 
But the professors will cover up for the professors. Isn't that a shocker? I mean, right. you think about sometimes the priests cover up for each other. It happens in every line of work and life. Absolutely. In the se second section, you talk about the origins of the clergy sexual abuse, and you talk about the role of evil. The priests who abused minors were sick men, but I wouldn't say that all of them were evil or use the word evil. You go on to say, and quote uh, Pope Benedict again, the problem today is that many deny the existence of evil. Benedict said, notes that this is a function of moral relativism. Yes, he's absolutely right. Remember the day before he was uh, elected pope, he talked about the doctrine of, of, of relativism uh, that's over, overcome Western civilization. He has a good good grasp of that. Yes, listen, there's no one, no, no one's ever going to excuse uh, a, a priest or a plumber who would dare put his hands on a minor. Uh, these guys were sick, but evil, I don't think we should be promiscuous with, it, with its usage because we'll, we'll dilute its significance. But when I read that a priest is having sex with a 15-year-old on the altar or saying the Our Father as he's raping the child, or in the case of Father Maciel, who right. had sex with men and women and fathered children, and on his deathbed, he refused an exorcism or the opportunity to confess. And then we have in this country the former Cardinal Theodore McCarrick, right. uh, who would conveniently uh, take the seminarians down to his home down the Jersey Shore in Seagirt, knowing that he had uh, uh, only uh, three bedrooms, but he invited four men. Mm -hmm. So that was done intentionally to have, have them sleep with him. He raped these young men psychologically, physically, spiritually. That, the word evil has to be used in those contexts when you're destroying a young man studying to be a priest and you have his bishop uh, doing this to him. Yes, the, the, the devil is at work in the, trying to destroy the Catholic Church. There's nothing new about this, but the scandal was at least in part driven by the work of, the, of Satan. Right. It's, it's interesting because on the Martial end, you said this was one more sign of his demonic possession, meaning the, the refusal to repent. So in, in his case, you could see the evil living itself out. In McCarrick's case, so many people say, well, he's so high profile. He had been even later on caught and kind of condemned and told to be sidelined, but yet he went out and about. Uh, and is it because he was a big fundraiser and he spread his money around? I hate to say it that way, but is that part of the problem? I think it certainly explains part of it. There's no question he was a master Irish storyteller. He could, he could be very witty and very nice at times. I'm not saying that, uh, to be fair to him. Uh, on the other hand, uh, yes, he was very gifted. He was very manipulative. And mm -hmm. this happens to be a mark, by the way, of a lot of the homosexuals themselves. The, 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 the narcissism and the, and the manipulativeness uh, which, which they perfected. And uh, ultimately, he was out for himself. Uh, he wanted desperately to get the red hat. Oh, he wanted to become cardinal. He told me on the phone, I didn't even met him at that point, uh, that he wanted to succeed Cardinal O'Connor in New York. I mean, why is he telling Bill Donahue this as a layman, like as if I have some leverage in this area? It shows you how self-absorbed he was. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and uh, yeah, and people had heard rumors, but 
you know, you hear rumors about lots of things. Most of them are false. In this case, they have to be true. Right, and you have to be very careful with what you accuse people of, obviously, right. if you don't have firsthand knowledge. Also, narcissism right. jumps out in the book, talking about exactly as you were talking about with him. One of the point I wanted to ask you about was because it's kind of interesting. We hear about pedophilia and ephebophilia, and many times uh, that's pointed out as saying there's a difference, and you alluded to it. But I thought it was interesting because you quote Mary Eberstard, who points out the fact uh, the, when was the last time you heard the phrase ephebophilia applied to a heterosexual man? So even though it's a separating situation to say, well, they're not all pedophiles, it's still masking what the truth is, right? Right. The, 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 the pro-gay lobby in and out of the church will go to no end to try to deflect attention away from the role that homosexuals have played in sexual abuse. And so we have to call it pedophilia. It's not pedophilia when only 3.5% of the cases uh, involve prepubescent boys. Almost all of them are postpubescent, okay, the vast majority of them. That's called when a man has sex with, with a postpubescent man, that's called homosexuality, mm -hmm. all right? And then they come up with epiphilia because he's adolescent. That's an invented wastebasket term, mm -hmm. again, trying to deflect attention away from what it is. You either have heterosexual sex or you have homosexual sex. That's what we're talking about. Right, absolutely. You, you also talk about in here, and this came close to home for me because uh, it's where I grew up. I was told by a woman who tended bar in the 1990s, a pub near the Diocese of Rockville Center's headquarters, that homosexual priests used to frequent there and had no qualms about making out in front of the patrons. Yes, I mean, that's just how shameless and arrogant some of the men were. They were comfortable. They didn't think that uh, anybody would, would mind, and, and it, it's also their way of trying to enculturate other people. Uh, but no, there was no, there was no even uh, prudence, which is right. the most cardinal of the cardinal virtues. And the fact that people would do so openly like that, and there are many other examples which I've learned about, uh, it, very, very similar cases. It, it's, it's, it's astounding how openly bold these people were. Absolutely. One last question before we go. You, you make, regrettably, there's a reason to believe that if there is any place in the Catholic Church that still tolerates a homosexual subculture, it's at the Vatican. Yes. There's enough material that have come out by people on different sides on this issue which have indicated that there still is a gay subculture in Rome. Uh, why it hasn't been busted, I guess, only goes to prove the point of just how entrenched it might be. I think we have done a better job here in the United States than they've done in Rome, and I stand by that. And if we have, part of it's because of the great work you've done. Thank you so much, Bill Donahue, author of The Truth About Clergy Sexual Abuse, Clarifying the Facts and the Causes, Quite So, uh, published by Ignatius Press, available through our religious catalog, EWTNRC.com, all things Catholic. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time right here on Bookmark.